Sports. This is your host, Gorda Van. We're starting off the new year with a new show and very happy and pleased to have a new show sponsor. CKX Gear will be sponsoring the Snowmobile Podcast this year. Very happy to have them. You may know CKX uh, from their very popular Titan helmet. And new this year, they have the new Mission helmet. And so um, very pleased to have them on board and uh, I'll be you know, changing things up and uh, we'll be having a little bit of uh, information uh, uh, segments on, uh, during the Sunil Me podcast and uh, they'll be describing some of their uh, products and stuff. So very happy to have uh, them on board. So here's a, a quick word on the new Mission Helmet. The Mission Helmet is equipped with an integrated air management system exclusive to CKX helmets. This unique technology allows you to decrease the risk of condensation by evacuating moist air to the outside of the helmet. Under certain weather conditions, the breath deflector will ensure proper operation. The crucial purpose of this component is to isolate the nose and mouth area so that moist air can be confined. To achieve this, it must be well positioned and rest tightly and comfortably over the entire perfect adjustment you'll be able once on the trail to fully enjoy all the benefits of the mission and the AMS technology. To learn more about the mission helmet, please go to ckxgear.com or visit our YouTube channel. The CKX team wishes you a wonderful season. Okay. And uh, we're just 40 miles on the sled to uh, get through the break-in period so we can start working some tweaks that are designed and things like that. So sure. pre-running the race is pretty much not an option for us this year, just given the, the logistics of traveling, the cost, and things like that. So we're just doing a lot of sled prep in New Brunswick, and uh, sure. then we'll be heading up in time for the race. Fantastic. Okay, so let's find out where you're from. Um, you say you're from New Brunswick, and uh, Corrine is from... Kareen is from, so I'm Kareen. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I'm currently living in New Brunswick right now, but I'm actually from Labrador, so I've had a lot of involvement in the race over the years, just being from the area. So I'm actually from North Oswego, which is just outside of Goose Bay, which is one of the checkpoints um, for each of the race over the years, actually. Yep. And Rebecca. I'm from Wasilla, Alaska, and I've been watching Games Quest for a uh, oh, couple rounds now every you know they run it every other year so i was paying attention to it and decided i wanted to come and do it so i'm out here training from alaska for a couple weeks uh this round coming back at the end of january for another training trip too okay awesome awesome so you've, you've come quite a quite a distance uh isn't isn't that the place where you can see alaska for, or uh, russia from your uh from your door doorstep or something uh, i didn't i hear that from uh from a, a politician out uh, out that way <laughs> well she's my neighbor oh she did Okay. From Alaska for sure. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. So it's not just a rumor. You can actually see Russia from your doorstep. <laughs> yeah, but you're on the right doorstep. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. That's funny. That's funny. So um, okay. So how did you ladies meet? And how did and and uh, I guess you, you've both been watching it. And uh, what what brought you to decide to do this race? Well, Kareem's already done it. She's the only woman who's ever finished it, let alone even signed up. So she's. She's a very experienced, already a veteran. And uh, once you tell them about how we got together, you know. Yeah, sure. 
So um, for the last number of years, I've been providing um, support as a worker member for uh, Team Out of Maine, so Team Maine Racing. And uh, I happened to mention during the last race in 2018 that I wanted to do it again. So I did it in 2012, and I had a great experience, and I really wanted to do it again. And this time around, I wanted to change it up a little bit and uh, try to race it with another female. And I happened to mention it in the presence of a few of my fellow uh, friends who are racers as well. And lo and behold, uh, Rob Gardner of Team Maine just basically put it out on Facebook one day and made the post of Rebecca Charles and Courtney Paul, you guys need to talk. Yeah. So uh, Rob actually met Rebecca in Alaska a few years back when he went to race the Iron Dog. So he had known Rebecca and her, her riding capabilities and her mechanical skills and that's where he's seen the benefit of putting the two of us together. Um, we both are great riders. I have a strong navigational skill. She has a strong mechanical background. So putting the two of it together made a great dynamic for a team. Fantastic. That sounds great. So uh, what, what other events have you done, uh, uh, both of you? Um, any other endurance races? Have you, have you, you know, tried any kind of snowcross or, or anything like that? Or is it you just kind of been sticking to, uh, uh, you know, cross-country races? Well, I, I uh, up in Alaska, I started doing ice ovals last year, so that was something new for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I've done the Iron Dog Trail Cross, which is a thousand miles from basically Big Lake, which is just north of Anchorage to Nome, uh, across Alaska. And I've done that, like I said, four times, ice over racing, and then just some random cross-country racing around the Matsu Valley where I live. Fantastic. That's and for myself, I've done the endurance race for Kane's Quest. 2012, and other than that, I've just done some drag racing. Nothing uh, extreme as like King's Quest and Yeah. So how did you make out in uh, King's Quest in, in 2012? In 2012, I raced with my husband, Jason, who's also our team manager. And uh, out of 35 teams, we finished in 12th place. That's good. That's good. I mean, it, it, the, the tough part is just finishing that race. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a brutal race. I, I, I haven't actually seen it myself, but I, I did keep track of... Uh, it uh, uh, two two years ago when they ran it, um, so uh, I was keeping track of the you know the, some of the competitors in, in that race, uh, the Yamaha team out of uh, Ontario. Um, but uh, so who who all else is is on your team, uh, and and how many people consist of it right now? So the Kane Quest race, the way it's designed, it's a team of two, two people, two snowmobiles. So Rebecca and I are the team. Uh, but we have a large support crew behind us. Um, our support crew is a very valuable part of our team in order to make sure that we have the tools, the parts, the fuel, the resources that we need to make around the course. So our team manager is actually my husband, Jason Hall. Uh, Jason has raced the race three times now. Uh, he started in 2009. But he's also been a big part of support crews for a couple of different teams, uh, Grip and Rip Racing and Team Maine over the years. So he comes with a great deal of background. Uh, with that, we've also recruited a number of our friends, some of which helped us out in 2012 and been helping out other teams over the years. And then Rebecca actually has some uh, friends coming down from Alaska to support us as well. So we had a pretty good crew, probably about 12 crew members, I would say, we have on board uh, between family and friends to help us get through the uh, province. And they'll be split up between uh, two groups and then two groups and vehicles and everybody's going to be going their own directions to meet at the appropriate points that way we don't miss anybody so they'll kind of be staggered with our stop yeah 
So they kind of jump ahead of you during the stage race and, and prepare for when you arrive at the, at the next stage race uh, or, or the, the, the next stage. Is that generally how it, how it goes about? Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, once we leave the start line, all, most of our crew members, if not all of them, will get a chance to see us leave the start line. And from there, they're going to fan out and start making their way through the province for strategic points. So we'll, they'll get ahead of us in order to be there waiting for fuel oil and if necessary any parts but they also be strategically placed in case that we have a breakdown um quite a ways back in a remote area yeah so um what, what kind of communication do you have with your team back on uh, you know your your support crew uh do you have uh some kind of two-way radios or anything like that and just say that you're you're experiencing maybe some kind of problem and you and you, you're going to need this for uh, at the next checkpoint to, what kind of communication systems do you have well, we, on a small scale, we have communication, first of all, between the two riders, and that's a huge thing, you know, that a lot of people don't understand. We did some training this weekend with some intercoms between Kareen and myself, so just the communication between us is going to give us a good advantage because we don't have to stop to talk, to talk about what's going on with our sleds or anything like that on a larger scale in order to communicate with our support crew. Um, you know, everybody's starting to get these in-reach devices, and that's what we have. And they're absolutely outstanding. You can literally text anybody anywhere, anytime. And so uh, I will have the in-reach mounted on my sled. Kareem's going to have a main GPS mounted on her sled. Um, she'll be able to be out front navigating, and I'll be able to receive or send any messages necessary to our support crew so um, that we can communicate adequately. There's a lot of things that we could have to communicate over. Obviously, we don't need to go into the detail on that, but... Um, the amount of technology is incredible yeah. that we're using. And it's a requirement of the race that we're keeping cell phones. So cell phones are a big part. Um, there's no cell phone service in most parts of Labrador. So between the satellite phones, the support crew will have a satellite phone that we can converse back and forth. It also allows us to do texting. So if it's a quick message, we can do a quick, uh, a quick message through inReach or the sat phone. But that is a big part of uh, the planning. So usually what we'll do is we'll kind of have a home base person that we run all of our communications through, and they will fan out the information to the necessary group. Great. Fantastic. So um, just, just for, I mean, probably most people don't really know about this race and, and the equipment required for it. Can, can you give us kind of a, 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 a somewhat of a breakdown of some of the equipment you do need? Um, and, and that's your uh, technology equipment. Um, and then we'll get into some of the, the, the prep that you actually do to, the, your, to your snowmobiles. So what kind of technology, other than the, uh, the two-way radios, do you have? So Kane's Quest, um, as a rule, you're required to carry a certain amount of survival equipment for the just-in-case that you are in a very remote part of Labrador. You could be there for a period of time. Um, if you have an accident, if you break down, if you need emergency services, um, they can't necessarily fly 24 hours of the day, depending on the weather conditions. So we have to be prepared for the uh, what if. So we're actually required to either carry a tent or a bivy bag, a sleeping bag at minus 20, first aid kits, um, uh, uh, camp stove, fuel for the camp stove, lighters, matches. So there's a, a large series of things that you must carry with you. Um, so that helps us uh, ensure that we can take care of ourselves in the case of an emergency. We're also required to carry, to wear safety gear. Um, you know, we have to wear a tech vest. A lot of people have a tech brand, tech vest brand uh, vest. You know, you, you crash and protecting your innards. That's, you know, kind of a primary thing. 
having good boots and spare liners if necessary. Um, Corrine mentioned sleeping bags, that's a huge one. What we typically do with that though, because if you're going to use it, you're in emergency, just vacuum seal that up, get yeah. it as small as possible, tuck it away and only use it if we absolutely have to. So a lot of these survival um, pieces of equipment are, are just in case thing. So, but our number one thing is our gear. We're going to have to have really good gear and stay warm, just keep moving forward, not have to get stopped. And if we do get stopped, we can pull out that emergency gear is packed away and uh, use that in that situation. But a lot, we're hoping to not have to use a lot of our emergency gear yeah. is the way that you go into the race, you know. It's quite a large race. I mean, this year they're playing a couple 3,100 kilometers throughout Labrador. Uh, a lot of northern communities, southern communities that don't have immediate medical access and things like that. So we do have to be well prepared. There's portions that um, we're going to leave portion north coast of Labrador and head um, inland. There's no communities, your overland, mountain ranges, wooded areas, lakes and rivers. So it's quite congested uh, for access as well. Yeah. What the, what, what kind of, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the weight uh, that, that you generally carry on for supplies on, on, on each sled? Well, it's about 70 to 80 pounds uh, beyond our weight with uh, fuel and parts. And, and gear that we're required to carry. Yeah, and we do have a little bit benefit behind us in that that we're a lot smaller than a lot of the other folks who are going to be riding, and so uh, our suspension isn't going to be taking quite as quite as much of a beating. We do have that, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, have you had an opportunity to put all this stuff on your sleds now to to, to test it all? You've been testing the past couple of weeks. Have you had an opportunity just to do dry runs and and just do suspension setup and uh, with with all this stuff loaded on? Our uh, we haven't done that exactly yet. We've done a, a little bit of pack riding, but our plan for that next visit, which is on January the twenty fourth, uh, we should have the sleds completely built by then uh, with the extra suspension uh, where it's really tunnel reinforcement. Uh, then we'll be able to pack things on and be all of placement of parts and tools and gear. And we're not behind because we've both been doing this for so many years that we really are going on what we pack, where we pack it, where we pack it. So we're looking to have our sleds set up slightly differently than the other just because we know where some things are. But generally, we've been packing this stuff for years and years. So it's just a matter of getting it on these sleds in these situations. And so we know each other's setups in case. Yeah. So that'll be the crux of our trip. I'm going to come back out in January, and that'll be kind of like our big thing is, is everything's going to be finalized, and our ride then will be riding exactly as we're going to be racing. Um, this trip, we were really close, but we're just dialing in sleds, doing here and there. So we still have that extra week of riding together out east here on our race sleds where we're going to be able to finalize everything. And Jason is going to be making sure that all the suspensions are set up for us by the time I get back. And so that should be the flood zone we'll be riding as they're going to trade. Yeah. So, so um, I guess it's, it's Corrine, you're going to be staying and Rebecca is going back home. Is that right? Lives out here in Corrine lives out here in New Brunswick. So um, I'm going to be flying home tomorrow morning early and then coming back out the end of January. Uh, we'll also do one train trip up in Alaska too, you know, because we can't have enough riding together before you do a big race like this. So Corrine and hopefully Jason. Okay, so I had to uh, stop the recording there. 
uh, we're getting a lot of uh, breakup uh, from their cell connection out in uh, New Brunswick. So um, we reconnected and uh, with a new cellular number and it worked just great. So here they are again and um, I got them to repeat some of the uh, information uh, that they had uh, regarding their sleds. So here. So what, what type of uh, aftermarket uh, uh, products do you have on your sleds like uh, protection for the, uh, for the sled, uh, reinforcements, that kind of stuff? Yeah, not a problem. So some of the things that we, the top things that we installed were the Grip and Rip Racing products, the IsoVibe, uh, oil light bushings, bracing kits. These are going to help us if there's any striking of rocks, bumps, uh, things like this. Along with that, we put on the RPM uh, composite skid plate. And this is also a great protection factor for the brake side as well as the chain case side. It covers a lot more than a typical plastic skid plate would, and it's made of carbon fiber, so we're getting that lightness factor, which is always a benefit. Nice, yeah. And the bumpers. So we had custom bumpers uh, built that helped with uh, securing of our equipment as well as reinforcing the tunnel, so it'll make it a little bit stronger. And Imperial Manufacturing made those for us. That's actually the company that Kareen worked for. And they did just a fantastic job with uh, fabricating them custom, including where we were going to have hooks so that we could tie down our gear because we do carry quite a bit of gear. Yeah. Yeah, and we had a partnership between Rigid Lighting and another local business, GL Casey, who uh, distributes their products. So we have a six-inch light bar for auxiliary lighting that's going to help us uh, with the visibility in the nighttime and and help reduce the potential of outrunning our lights on our sleds so we have uh, you know better capabilities of seeing what's coming and being able to maneuver and, and avoid situations and then of course we also mentioned the comms earlier <laughs> you know not only do we have just kind of the little things like the inreach so we can communicate with our support crews but i can't stress enough how how awesome these uh we actually got rugged radios intercoms between our two sleds and even on our training, it's been a huge benefit because we haven't had to stop to discuss anything. We can talk over the radio. We can stop when we need to. It just ups the efficiency factor uh, tenfold. Yeah, so it's kind of push, push the talk, kind of uh, like you just push a button on your, on your handlebars and you can talk? Or is that how you do it? That's, that's correct. We, we thought about doing some of the voice-activated systems, but the consensus typically is, is that with the motor sound on these larger sleds, that it'll key out the mic when yeah. you don't intend to. Um, so this is really nice because most of the time, sometimes uh, my mic keys without without me pressing the button, but, but that's just when I'm singing, unfortunately. Um, you <laughs> press the button, you have your communication, and then you let off the button and there's no issues there. And we have, we've had very clear communication without our auxiliary antennas for about a mile range between each other, but we don't intend to get that far apart. And so it's just really nice because we don't have to stop and check on each other. It's amazing how much those little seconds really add up. And that's what makes you do well in these long races is, at, you know, 2,000 miles or 3,100 kilometers is a long way, but every second counts and it's about your efficiency because if you are efficient in everything, that means you don't need to push your sled beyond what you're comfortable riding at for pace. Yeah. And so you stay safer, you don't damage things, you don't damage yourself. And so that's our intention is to have a good, clean race. And the communications, the lights, the bracing, everything that we're putting into these sleds are just a big step towards efficiency and lack of having to do any work while we're out on the trail. Because I'll tell you what, I would much rather go to bed than work on a sled at 10 below in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, what about what about any kind of winches or anything like that? The, you know, in the past, uh, you know, I, I've seen so many teams, you know, have to you know withdraw because 
they, they bury their sled or, or something like that in rivers. Uh, rivers have been a problem in the past. It's, one, of the best, one of the best things ever is, that, is a snow bungee. Okay. Um, that's typically what people are carrying now. Um, the snow bungee is great for the deep snow if one of us gets stuck. Uh, in the case of breaking through a river or getting bound up in some trees, uh, a come along, we'll definitely bring a come along uh, along with us. Uh, it'll it'll help with that extra, you know, muscle power that we don't have compared to most uh, individuals that are riding. But you know, a lot of times when you get into these situations of the snow conditions, teams tend to kind of bottleneck into a location, and you get a little bit of support from one another there. So that's a big help as well. I mean, I don't intend to to be relying on other teammates of um, you know of the competition, but at the same time, it it could be beneficial for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what about uh, um, uh, sleds? How 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 many sleds do you have? Do you, you say you got the two race sleds, but uh, in practice sleds, how many sleds uh, total do you have? And do, do you, are you basically gonna bring all your sleds for your support crew to like to to maybe strip down if you need parts or um, the parts situation? How uh, what you know? How much are you gonna have to bring? So we have, we have a couple strategies uh, going for our part situation. So we do have a donor sled. Um, we have a third sled that's going to be driven by our race manager, Jason. He's going to be following us through quite a large portion of the race, mainly the remote locations for the Justin case. So we'll be able to rob yeah. parts off of his sled if need be. But we're also working with uh, Kidu X team. Uh, we had a, a sponsorship from them. So we got a lot of parts that we're getting uh, from them to take along with us. And then we have uh, JT All Season uh, Motorsports, that's a local dealership that we actually purchased our new sleds through for the race. They're uh, providing with us with, providing us with a lot of parts that we can take for the dissipates, the A-arms, upper and lower A-arms, some spindles, uh, springs, shocks, things like this. So King, King. There, there's some wear and tear parts and also some impact parts that we definitely need to be prepared with. Um, not, not necessarily we're going to be carrying all these parts with us, but they'll be accessible from our support team. We yeah. have new shocks all around in case we need them. Um, yeah, basically last night we sat down and uh, just kept plugging through our list of things of, of what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, and we're going to address every single what if and make sure we're ready for every single situation and somebody will have the parts and we will fix something if it if it needs to be fixed. Yeah. I'm hoping for a good race where we don't need to fix anything. Um, that's, I'm confident that we can do that. But if you don't have them, you're going to break it. If you have them, you're not. So that's our thought. Have you all had practice uh, uh, changing gears, chains, uh, um, shocks uh, in, in the skid, uh, you know, A-arms? Have you all kind of did kind of practice runs to see how to, uh, to replace all that stuff? We're completely confident in our ability to change anything that needs to get changed. Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned uh, Jason's going to be following you. I, he's he's not allowed to help you though, is he? Like he he can just kind of hang back and and kind of. Uh, he, he can verbally help us. Yeah. So he can he can give us advice verbally, but um, he can he hand can, us parts. Yeah. He can hand us tools, but he can't physically touch uh, our sleds to do any mechanical work. Yeah. Um, Unless it's welding. Unless it's welding. Have a welder weld. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and that's a written rule, more from a safety factor than anything uh, within King's Plus regulations. So our support crew is a big part of us. Um, 
more of a verbal support when it comes to the mechanical components because they're not committed to touch the slides. They're yeah. kind of our pack mules. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they carry everything we might need. Yeah. And uh, hopefully they're where we need them, when we need them. And we've got such a great support crew that we're not even worried about them, you know, um, not being in the right place at the right time. It's a really solid support crew. Um, we're very confident that we're not going to need these parts. But like I said earlier, if we have them, it's just extra insurance. Yeah. So uh, how many vehicles do you have chasing you to uh, the different uh, locations? Do you have a couple box vans or, or you know, supply trucks, uh, you know, meet, meeting you at, at the end of each stage? Um, well, actually, if you don't mind, we'll let our uh, team manager kind of talk about our strategy. Okay. Work he's the one really leading that portion, and he's a big part of the planning for that. So talk to you. You've run this race a couple times, I guess. Uh, at, um, what what is really the biggest things that you've learned, um, strategy wise? That you know things that you picked up over the over the years. That uh, you know what can go wrong. You you, you know so many so many scenarios um, of, of what can go wrong, and and uh, maybe give us a little uh, uh, you know heads up of, of what your strategy may be. Well, first of all, when you think you know what you're doing something else goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, like Karina mentioned, we ran Skidoo, um, you know, for about 10 years in this race, whether we ran it ourselves or were directly involved with the team that ran Skidoo. Um, they changed a little bit over the years, but the main, the main failures with the race tend to be suspension. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we carry, you know, it's, it's a little more than what, what's recommended by the manufacturer on the, on the tunnels of these machines. So um, once you do that, you know, you brace one thing up and then something else fails. You brace this and something fails. So over the years, that's something that we've kind of learned, um, you know, where the weak points are. So it, it's nice to continue with that product and, and know where, where they fail. But that being said, again, you know, there's every year there seems to be something else. You think you're all set and there's something else that comes in. Um, but we try to be as prepared as we can. Yeah. Um, like Karina mentioned, um, we do have a third XRS that we're going to build identical to the race sled. And uh, because there are some really remote areas of the race, um, we you know, we're going to have that third sled in those areas. Yeah. So you can't take every part, you know, it's impossible to plan for everything and to have every part everywhere because it's such a vast race course. Yeah. So in these areas that are very remote, and like, and we're talking hundreds of miles from the nearest community, um, you know, that's where this third sled comes in because like we know a hundred percent if they need something, we have it. Yeah. So a part of our plan is um, I'm actually going to be riding this sled and, you know, we'll be in strategic areas and at some points chasing uh, the race team. And if they need something, they're going to strip it from the donor sled, essentially. And uh, I'm going to twiddle my thumbs until our support <laughs> can come to rescue me. Whether yeah. it means to tow me, you know, to tow me to the nearest community or they have parts. But, um, you know, we found over the years that if you can provide that third sled 
um, you know, that a really a, uh, you know, a great advantage. It, it's very costly um, to do that, but just the vastness of the race, you know, it, it's so hard to have, you know, um, for example, we, uh, one previous race we had, um, you know, we had an action packer pull apart and um, we broke a motor mount. Oh, yeah. Hardly ever break a motor. You know, it's something that you don't, well, you know, and, you know, we knew right away, like, we don't have a motor mount. Right. You know, and I mean, it's key to have that motor mount. I mean, you'll never, you'll never keep going. And, uh, you know, that it's just something like things like that, you know, can take you out of the race, you know, yeah. and, um, so having that third sled, it's a big part. Um, outside of that, there's, uh, again, the course is very diverse. There's, um, you know, you're following highways towards, uh, the first probably third of the race, um, you crisscross highway. So we have support crews in pickups with trailers. They have, um, again, we're pretty loyal to Skidoo. So we have our expeditions uh, in there with, with slaves, extra gas parts that we can kind of go in if, if they need us. Um, all in all, we have, we have four or five, um, we'll have four or five pickups um, and trailers on the course. We'll have about a dozen support snowmobiles um, throughout Labrador. Um, yeah. We have guys that are going to be literally staying in tents. It could be minus 40. It could be minus 10 um, over the years. The second week, first, second week in March in Labrador, uh, weather is very unpredictable. But we, we will have guys in very remote locations sleeping in tents because one of the rules are uh, support crews aren't allowed to break trail. Right. So um, before the race starts, to ensure that uh, we have our people where they need to be, um, they need to go before the race starts and uh, get into those remote locations. So uh, that could mean some guys, and I've been those guys, um, two, three nights in a tent, in the middle of the woods, in interior Labrador, minus 20, minus 40, and you hang out until those racers come <laughs> through, and you're there for the sole purpose of giving them fuel and having parts just in case. Yeah. So yeah. That's, something that, that's something that we do. So you've, 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 you've had an opportunity to see the winning teams in the past few races. Have you, have you been able to you know, take notes and, and, and see what they're doing and kind of see what a what a, what a race winning strategy is or does it yeah, we, does it change a lot every year well there's i mean obviously having knowing your sled and the weak points of the sled is um is key and again being true to to the brand you know over the years you just every year something else comes up and it it helps for sure yeah um but being a part of the support crew, everybody's so tight knit and and um, you know has so much involvement in the preparation in, in every every aspect. So you know for sure there's things you take away from that. There's strategy you take away from you know being with the winning team. Um, well, like the last the last two races in uh, 2016 and uh, and uh, 2018. Um, 
I've been a part of of the support crew. I actually raced in 2016 with uh, with uh, as a part of the team. And uh, 2016, I was the rider of the support sled, as I'm doing with the with the girls um, for the winning team. Mm-hmm. And um, you you definitely you definitely learn a lot. You take a lot away from that, but really it comes down to knowing your sled and the team dynamics is huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, we got, we expect people to have, you know, ride. I mean, the girls have people, all riders in the race, you know, are 20, 20 plus hours. There's days, 20, sometimes 30 hours. We've been on the seat of snowmobile before, before you sleep as a racer support crew actually gets less sleep than the racers. Yeah. Because the support crew, you need to get ahead of them. So when they're sleeping, you know, when they come into a checkpoint and they have something broken, you need to gather apart, get everything out, you lay out the tools, you have everything ready so that when they get back on the clock and they're ready to wrench, everything is laid out and ready for them. So, yeah. you know, uh, support crew is quite a demanding, uh, it's better to be a racer, really. Yeah. So, so, so the support crew cannot, even at the end of the stage, after at the end of the stage, the support crew cannot touch the sled. The racers have to do everything. Yeah. So when they when they get into the mandatory checkpoints, um, you normally before once you sign off, sign off the clock. Yeah. Um, those those sleds are held in a secure compound, and you if you forget. Your underwear on those sleds, you cannot go back in and get them. Okay. If you're, it's a mandatory 12-hour layover. If you, once you sign that paper saying you're done for this layover, you cannot go back to the sleds. You can't go anywhere near them. Okay. Are they, are they in a warm building so they can at least uh, thaw out, or are they outside in a tent, or what's generally uh, the? No, they're, no, they're just outside in the elements. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. No, there's absolutely, uh, there's no warm building. There's no. Uh, Falling them out, de-icing them. Um, in some of the communities that you can drive to, um, when there's work to be done, the um, you can bring them into an enclosed trailer where we normally have heaters. Yeah. But you're on the clock when you're doing all your work. Yeah. Okay. Um, like these sleds, like if you need work, for example, if you go into a checkpoint before you go off the clock, it's a good uh, good practice to check over your machine. Yeah. You know, you check your suspension, see if there's anything broken. If there's any bolts missing, etc., um, then you go off the clock. Okay. The racers can they go with their support crew and say, "I need this, I need this, I need this." Mm-hmm. Um, the support crew then, while they're off the clock and they're sleeping, they'll gather the parts. You know, uh, get the trailer ready. You know, we'll take our support sled out. We'll have the heat on. Everything's nice and warm. When they go back on the clock, you run them into the enclosed trailer. And every time you run them into the trailer, there's actually a uh, volunteer from the race, an official from the checkpoint that monitors what you're doing. Okay. Make sure that, you know, you abide by the rules. Yeah. So everything is watched. If once you go, you know, if, because you're in an enclosed trailer uh, behind closed doors, um, you know, the race officials do a really good job of ensuring, you know, there's there's no cheating. There's no, you know, the, the racers are the only ones that can wrench on the machines right yeah so so uh, when you get to the remote when you get to remote locations in northern labrador um you literally ask the local at the support at, at the checkpoint um do you have a warm place for us to work on sleds some people um you know they'll have a shed with a fire wood, wood stove going and there's 
years past that I literally, um, you know, we stripped, we had a wiring issue and, uh, we stripped our sled under a street lamp, um, you know, at minus 30. Wow. Oh boy. Um, now as far, as far yeah. as swapping out parts, do they have to be the same make and model of, uh, and, and year of the sled or can you, uh, um, you know, as far as the rules, uh, you know, you know, can you, can you swap, um, um, other parts off of a different model, same, same, same make, but a different model. Like, can you do that? Um, it doesn't, no, there's nothing in the rules of what, what you can do. You can't, um, you know, if you have an engine failure, you can't replace an entire engine and have to rebuild it. Okay. Um, and obviously anything with your rear skid, you can't just take a whole, like a rear skid out and put a new rear skid in. Like if you bend a rail, for example, yeah. you need to replace that rail. Okay. Okay. Um, outside of that, um, there's been some pretty ingenious, funny, creative uh, things that happened on the course when it comes to getting machines back on the trail. Right. Um, because, <laughs> I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere, and there are guys that, you know, okay, this shock isn't quite long enough, or it's too long, or this spring isn't quite right, and, like, you know what, we're going to make her work. Or, yeah. you know, this this is broken. We're going to try to weld this up as best we can. Um, there, there's, some pretty, uh, there's some pretty funny stuff that happened. Um, you know, we had guys that broke a spring, for example. The spring went through a port in the track, went up through the heat exchanger. Okay, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. So we, we've had guys take willows, you know, the branch, drive in the hole, try to clean it as best they can, use a little JV well, you know, fix it up and go to a brook and put water in the machine and try to nurse something to the next checkpoint where they can try to get things done. There, there's some pretty creative things that happen. Yeah. But yeah. again, there, there's some, there's, there's areas between checkpoints that you're three and 400 kilometers from the nearest community. Yeah. And some of these communities that you're near are, you know, you can only access them by plane. Like these, these are very remote communities. So you, you work with what you got. Yeah. But the people in the communities are always very, very helpful. And, you know, if they got it, we've had a guy in 2012, um, cream broke her, uh, throttle housing mm -hmm. and, um, a guy took his throttle housing off and gave it to her so she can finish, you know, she can continue on with the race. And these, these snowmobiles are used to go to the grocery store, to go to work yeah. in these communities. They don't have plow loads to use, you know, and that's the type of people that, that you run into up there. Um, you know, they, they'll put themselves down. They'll literally walk to work and give you parts off their snowmobiles so that you can continue, continue on in these races, right? Nice. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you, what do you think their strategy might be? Um, uh, I, I guess you don't know what your starting time is um, and what position you'll be leaving. Um, do the girls plan on maybe following other sleds or, um, you know, uh, um, navigation wise, you know, what, what's their strategy for navigating, you know, through, through the, through the course? Is, is it safe to follow other people or do you kind of have your own idea of where you're going to go? Um, again, throughout the years, we have a tremendous amount of tracks um, that previous races have followed, and that's generally the way the race will go. Every yeah. year, there's always a team that, you know, makes shortcuts or does, you know, because there is no set route. Mm -hmm. um, so we're confident on where we're going. 
um, again, the main thing is to drive for your ability and the conditions. Yeah. So, you know, uh, just because a team blows past you and, and they're out in front, uh, in this race, that doesn't mean anything. In, uh, in endurance racing, you're not racing against other people, at least not for the first 1,500 miles out of 2,000 mile race. You're racing against making sure you don't break anything, don't break yourself. You can keep yourself together the last 500 miles. Then maybe you start thinking about what other people are doing. But until then, it's, a, it's not really something that you try to take into consideration. Run your own race. Do what your plan was. Stay smart. Stay in one piece. Don't break your machine. That's the key for the first 1,500 to 1,800 miles. Yeah. So how, how do you navigate it? Are you, giving a, are you giving a map or GPS plotting or how do you? So Kane's Quest gives you the checkpoint waypoints yep. and they give you a suggested route, which is pretty rough mm-hmm. to say the least. Um, um, again, an advantage because we were local and we've been involved, we have actual routes that we know work. Um, most of Labrador, you traverse a lot of lakes and rivers, um, mm-hmm. open uh, like marshes, bog areas. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of tundra. I mean, where there's no obstacles, only rocks. Your biggest obstacle is not having enough snow because it blows away. <laughs> um, you know, these these are so there. There's the roots. Um, we kind of get over the years. Um, Kane's Quest does give you a suggested route that. It's close to a passable route, but sometimes it's not the best route. Yeah, yeah. So, um, lo- you know, people from away that aren't local or don't have local support, I would say there is a more of a challenge, um, depending on weather again. I mean, if you have beautiful weather, you know, you could stay competitive by literally following the team in front of you. But right. if you have a snowstorm like we've had in some years, 20 minutes, later that track on a hundred kilometer long lake just disappeared and uh, you have no idea where you're going right so you kind of just it's, it's the biggest stress i think the biggest thing for kane's quest is the mental aspect of where you're going do i have enough fuel and i can't break my sled here yeah like that that's the big part um because you are literally in the middle of nowhere and uh you know fuel is a big thing yeah it's, it's huge actually you, you mentioned you mentioned that s- suspension is is one of the most popular breakdowns and in, in breakage is is it an adva- advantage that the that the ladies are lighter than the men i mean the men that that can be uh, a weight uh, advantage of a couple hundred pounds per sled i mean I, i've seen the size of some of these guys that uh that race that event and you know the ladies might have an advantage in fact that they don't have to um you know they're, they're definitely not going to be as as rough on the suspension as some of these guys that you know could be two three hundred pounds do you see that as an advantage you know for for setup and uh the fact that you could probably pack a little bit more stuff and you know do you, do you see that as an advantage yeah well i mean really the the girls body weight and their mandatory gear is going to be less than some of the actual rotters, like you said, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. When, but, again, the downfall of that is 
you know, they don't have the weight to get these machines to really, you know, they can't manhandle these machines like some of these, you know, like a guy that's 250 pounds can. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to that. Um, but again, it comes to being strategic and, you know, riding to your ability. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, um, it is definitely an advantage um, to ride lighter. You can ride faster. It doesn't fatigue your shocks and your suspension components, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, that would be that would be an advantage. But plus, we're getting our shocks and everything set up so dialed in that um, even if we were heavier, we'd be confident that they would be in good shape. You know, we're not going out with stock skids. We're we're up in the game by making sure that our shocks are valved properly. Yeah. That you know, we have the correct springs on. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the suspension. When we say, you know, we're doing suspension upgrades, it's, it's very, very involved. I mean, that's something that's going to take, while I'm gone, Jason and Kareem, many hours to put together. So yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into that. Even if we are lighter, it still takes quite a bit of setup to make sure it's right. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're too light, you're going to get beat to heck if you haven't set up too, too stiff. So it's, uh, you know, we got to find that balance of where our setup is and, and then it'll really come to our advantage. Right. And just because we're lighter, don't mean that we want to carry that much more gear and right. overweight ourselves. We just, we just want to stick to the, the mandatory plus the basics that could be an advantage point to us in, in any situation of getting stuck or, or a quick car change. Yep. Yeah, one of the biggest problems is is uh, what people in Alaska call rookie bulge, which obviously Kareen and Jason aren't rookies in this race. I am. But when you go into a race not knowing what to expect, you have the tendency to overpack. And that's something that can really be a disadvantage for you. Um, I remember my first year in Iron Dog, I packed way more things that I needed to pack and learned through the years that how to pare that down and how that really gives you an advantage for not only the weight on your sled, but also for finding the gear and organizing the gear that you have. Because if you need something, you need something now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're off your sled looking for something in your bag, that means you need it now. You're in a race. So um, that's something else that we've come to. To, to learn through the years is not to overpack. Yeah. Okay. So w- when when we were having the uh, the uh, connection problems, you, you were describing the sled. So maybe we better do, uh, go go over your sled again. You know the, the model, the, the the make, and and also um, the shock package that you do. I think you mentioned you have the XRS, but are do you have the XRS shock packages, or are uh, did you go to a different uh, shock package that Skidoo has? We. Uh... Yeah, we're going to run, well, the XRS, the reason we chose the XRS, um, the sled is set up pretty good from the factory. Um, we've been building over the years that sled, essentially, for Kane's Quest. And, uh, you know, uh, BRP is kind of honed into that type of riding. Um, the only thing we changed um, in the front, we um, we changed, we, we put the... Pro 40s, the KYB Pro 40s, because you know they are a beefier front shock. Yeah. As opposed as opposed to the 32s that they come with, the Pro 40s in the rear. Um, you know we've used them over the years. Again, we we take them up, we haul them apart, and we revalve them. Yeah. Um, you know from from stock, they're they're just they can't handle the abuse and the extra weight that we that we you know put them through. But it's a good starter. You know. Um, over the years, yeah, we've used aftermarket shocks. You know, we use um, Axis shocks. We use um, a number of different manufacturers. But really, 
you know, we use Fox. Really, when it comes down to it, they're very, very similar. It's just a matter of you picking the correct setup for your for your weight, you know, and and the type of driving that you're going to do. And that and that again, as Rebecca said, once pairing that with the proper spring setup is is huge. Yeah. I mean, uh, a shock a shock is only as good as the spring that's helping, right? Yeah. So, and what uh, what track uh, length are, do you have on the sleds? Um, this year they're going to run the the uh, Powder Max two inch paddle sixteen by one forty six, which okay. is shorter than we normally run. Um, in the past, we've always ran the one fifty four uh, sixteen by two inch paddle. Um, but the race seems to evolve over the years, um, and there's a lot less uh, real deep snow conditions. Um, where I think the 146 is a little bit of a gamble, actually. But, you know, we, we went, the 146 seems to be a really good setup. Um, but normally we ran 154. Yeah. By the, we're, actually, we're actually seeing a lot of teams this year running the same sled and the same length track. So we're quite shocked because we were a little nervous there for, a while of not running the 154s, but then we're seeing more people run the 146, which is great for parting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know we have to rob parts elsewhere, so that's a good advantage. But I, I think people are thinking the same way as us. It's a well-known route. You're uh, hitting less uh, heavy snow conditions, so we can only hope for the best from that point because we uh, we only have these sleds to work with. Clothing equipment. Uh, what 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 are what are you, what are you wearing and what are you? As far as the the cold extremes, you, you mentioned the tech vest. Um, um, what about uh, what about uh, um, cl- uh, outer clothing, un- un- underclothing, helmets, stuff like that for for the for the you know bad elements. Yeah, the the tech vest is actually a mandatory requirement of the race, so that's another safety feature that they run in the rules that you have to wear a tech vest. Uh, but in regards to the gear, uh, because we can see such a variety of temperature conditions from, uh, you know, minus 45 plus to right down to warmer conditions where we see mild temperatures and raining. So in 2012, we actually experienced a lot of rain at the end of the race. Um, so we've actually been running climb gear personally, not only for racing, but even for uh, recreational purposes over the last number of years. And that's mainly because of that Gore-Tex barrier that we get with that for the waterproofing. So layering is a big key. You don't want to overdress. You don't want to underdress because you have that variety of weather conditions that you can run into. But being able to gear down uh, if you run into mild conditions and layer out. Um, If we run into colder conditions, we'll layer up. So um, climb is kind of our, our, our big preference of clothing that we wear. And, you know, just carrying the mandatory, um, the gear of extra layers as well. Yeah. We uh, we make sure also that we have very light helmets this year because we so we went over to the F3, the Climb F3s, because I actually broke my neck in 2014 and I've always had, um, you know, soreness of my neck when I ride yeah. from the traditional heavy helmets. So we switched over to those Climb F3s and uh, it's amazing. It's a game changer. It does require a little bit more taping up and insulation in the helmet. But the lightness factor is a good offset. So, you know, having that waterproof, windproof layer. Um, we actually had my knee surgeon uh, 
Dr. Montano from Pioneer Peak Orthopedics in Wasilla, Alaska, actually sponsored all of our gear for this year. Okay. So we went through climb, and he was able to help us purchase all of the, uh, the base layers, mid layers, and outer layers, and then Valley Imaging of Wasilla. They purchased our helmets for us, so we're running all climb gear this year, um, and uh, we're confident that we're going to be warm, dry, and comfortable. Nice. Perfect. That sounds great. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, th I think we got uh, pretty much uh, er everything kind of uh, <laughs> the, the the guide uh, to uh, to doing this race. Um, can can you say roughly, approximately, what what this whole thing is 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 costing just for you know the the, the layman person uh, or what a, an event like this may may cost? Uh, uh, a, a, you know, including the sleds or not including? The sleds? Yeah, yeah inclu <laughs> including the sleds, all in. What are what what are, what are we looking at approximately? I think it's more than what Jason just wrote down, but oh. <laughs> he's being conservative, is he? <laughs> I'll give you a breakdown of some of the costs. So, two of the sleds uh, all in, you're talking about $40,000 for two sleds. Plus, I bought one in Alaska. Plus, she bought a training one in Alaska. Plus, <laughs> I bought a donor one here. So, we have our spare part sled. Uh, registration was $8,100 Canadian. Yeah. Um, we estimated approximately $4,000 worth of hotel for our support crew. We estimated near on $4,000 worth of fuel for our racing as well as our support crew. This train trip has been three grand for me alone, plus traveling another grand. I mean, we're, we're well over $100,000. Well over, yeah, American. it sounds like, yeah, it's been. Well yeah, well, well, it's a bargain up in Canada, I guess. <laughs> right, but you know what? We, we really couldn't do it without our sponsors, and I hope you give us a second to plug. Absolutely, them. go ahead. Go. Been, we couldn't do it without them. Um, our two dealerships have been outstanding, especially working with international sled sales, because I obviously have a sled out here also, and that took some strategery between the two countries to make it work. So we have J&P All Seasons uh, Motorsports. They're out in uh, Miramichi. Out here in New Brunswick, my dealer is CC Skidoo in Wasilla, Alaska. Uh, my uh, recently previous employer, I've moved on to um, the DOT in Alaska, but I work for EMC Engineering. They're one of our grand benefactors, and they help us out with, with numerous miscellaneous items. It's amazing how much everything will add up. Uh, one of our support crew members, Dennis Faldorf, he's not only coming out with his wife to run support crew for us, but he's paid for um, my training trips out here and my flights to Labrador, which has been huge. Yeah. Uh, we have Dennis Coos, who gave us uh, some money for fuel, whatever we need. Jebber's Convenience up in Labrador, Imperial Manufacturing, as we noted, they made all of our bumpers in addition to numerous other, other things. Um, with letting Kareem make copies and uh, just time off, things like that. Iron City Services, um, GL Cassie provided our rigid lights for us. Um, of course, grip and rip racing, like we mentioned, literally our sleds would not make it without these uh, bracing items and, and um, isovide. It's just incredible what grip and rip has. Everybody knows who grip and rip is and they should just keep buying things from them because it's an amazing business. Pioneer Peak Orthopedics, they provided all of our climb gear for us, Valley Imaging, our helmets, plus some financial support. Bellmac Industries, not only did he give us financial support, but he sent us uh, gift cards for fuel for all of our training trips. 
Nice. Um, as well as our plaques. As well as our we have these super cool custom made plaques, and we are going to do a um, auction. an auction or a raffle or something like that for these. Um, Rexton Snowmobile Club, right here locally where we are right now, they were able to donate some cash for us. East Therian and Jason Lemieux. Jason Lemieux is actually paying for Kareem's trip out to Alaska in uh, February. And then we have um, Connect Construction of Alaska. We have Office Max over here in Canada and Labrador. And then um, Jaws Industries provided cans for our sleds. Nice. And the list is a lot longer than that. It takes, I'm looking through our list of people, and it, it, it's taken, oh, darn near 100 people to uh, to help with us so far. So it's a big team, and we're really, really lucky to have every single person who's donated anything or purchased a hoodie or just put a sticker on their car. So sometimes the moral support is just as big as the financial support, but our financial supporters are absolutely making this happen for us. Okay. And we always have to consider our families you know they're by our side through the race and all this planning and preparation and and i i remember in 2012 building sleds in the garage every night for weeks and weeks and you feel like you're neglecting your kids but you know your parents are there to help you uh you know aunts and uncles are coming by cousins are coming by to help out with the kids and help out with the sled building so family is a big part of this whole race as well and and it is that moral support that's really important, not only the uh, the financial portion. Yeah. yeah, our Facebook supporters are huge. One of our big things that we feel is very important to us and that we do on a regular basis is make sure that we're on our social media and that we're interacting with our people. We don't just post things and walk away. We love to have the interaction with people asking questions and uh, you know making comments. We always try to respond. So. We really encourage everybody to go and like our social media pages, which is typically under Team Virago Snowmobile Endurance Team. We have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have we have Twitter. Um, so we really think that those are another thing to keep us going, just as much as the finances do. That moral support is huge. Yeah. Okay. You heard it, people. Just uh, like their pages and uh, you know follow follow their their, their Twitter and uh, Instagram and, and Facebook pages. Team Virago Endurance Team. Is that what it was? Okay. Basically, if you look up Team Virago, V-I-R-A-G-O, uh, you can pretty much find us on all the social media. Yeah, fantastic. Well, ladies, I appreciate it. Jason, thanks a lot for uh, for the time. I think we we, we, we covered everything. It was kind of uh, everything everybody needs to know to uh, to come and uh, and you know understand it and and maybe uh, do it themselves. I got a question for Jason. Is is he yeah, gonna? It, does, does is he gonna miss? Is he gonna miss uh, racing this event this year? Uh, it's going to be a challenge for sure, not being uh, actually racing yeah. and uh, having your wife run around Labrador. And it's a little stressful because this isn't, it's an endurance race. You do, a, it's pretty gnarly. Some of the terrain that you go over and some of the rivers, uh, yeah. not uncommon to cross open water and, and do breakthrough rivers. I've seen teams, you know, uh, in water, um, you know, mi minus 40 and, Dealing with open water on a snowmobile is very dangerous. And yeah. That's something that is definitely a stressful moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And you run, you know, like I say, there's there's times that, you know, you've been 20, 20 plus hours on the seat of a snowmobile and you really don't make the best decisions. Right. For sure. When oh, you yeah. Do that, especially after five days of it. So, 
Yeah. So, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe we should break down, break down the, the schedule of, the, of, of the race. When does it start? How many days uh, does it go? And uh, uh, um, maybe uh, I, I, I know Kane's Quest has got a track, a tracker for, uh, for all the, for all the teams. Is that, is that do they still have that this year? They're going to have a, a sled tracker. For the teams. Yeah. So the race starts on March seventh of twenty twenty. Uh, all teams are going to be outfitted with GPS tracking, which is live tracking online. So they can go to canesquest.com and click on the link there. You can also download it as a mobile app. And you can follow your favorite team, and we hope you follow Team Virago. So over the expected five to six days of riding, um, throughout that time, we have mandatory rest stops uh, where we are required to go off the clock for 10 to 12 hours at each location. So that is a, another safety feature of the race. They force you off the clock for rest time, for downtime uh, throughout it. So it's a great opportunity for us to talk to the locals, um, interviews with the public and things like that. Sleep. Sleep is very important as well. Drink. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the race normally is about five to six days. Um, and I'm trying to remember on average on clock for the completion of the race, we averaged it out to, I think it was 62 hours of actual riding time to complete the race. But we're forced to take approximately 54 hours of mm -hmm. rest time. So that's what drags it out to the five to six day um, window of the race. Yeah. Perfect. Wow. And it's very weather dependent. Yeah, yeah, because they can shut you down if you have some sort of issue. They've shut down the race for a um, 24-hour period due to condition. issues and conditions in the past. Didn't they do? Didn't they do that in 18? Didn't they do that in, in uh, 2018? Didn't they? Didn't they shorten it or, or or stop it for a period? If I recall. Yeah, in, 20, in 2016, actually, they changed the they rerouted the last uh, leg. the last leg. Um, the checkpoint officials actually, because of the storm conditions, they were yeah. unable to get to the checkpoint. Right. Yeah. Um, it took them three days. They tried for three days to get to the checkpoint. And they couldn't get in there because of the storms, and um, they had to reroute the race mid-race. Um, that's rare, but it's Labrador. I mean, when you look at the the vastness of Labrador and the terrain, there's there's quite a change. Um, right. That could be expected. So um, we'll we'll have to see what happens. Hopefully, uh, we're, we're all delayed. we're Hopefully. we're all praying for minus ten to minus fifteen degrees Celsius and bluebird days. Yeah, but huh. uh, and northern and northern lights in the sky at night. Yeah, but uh, that'd be nice. You know, we'll never know. Okay. <laughs> well, I I wish you all the best of luck. I'll be I'll be I'll definitely be following you, and uh, maybe maybe somewhere along the line we can. Uh, uh, contact each other again, and uh, and uh, I get some get some updates. Um, um, I, I I can also do a live show, um, so um, maybe maybe we can discuss that, and we can do uh, something live on on race week or something like that if we uh, if we can get some kind of uh, connection, <laughs> kind of thing. So maybe uh, we we'll be that'd be cool because um, I'm actually flying in from Alaska into Labrador on. There's like a four-day uh, period that Turn leads up, to, up to it, and you have your you pick up your racer pack one day, you yep. have your fan day one day. So there's about four days there where we're going to be um, together before the race starts. But then, of course, we'd love to talk to you again after we're uh, we're both back in. Yeah. Yeah, but that sounds great. Where do you live anyway? I'm I'm in Ontario. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. 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 We were trying to figure out the time time zone differences and. All right, ladies, you take care and have, make sure uh, everything goes good uh, and uh, stay, stay good and healthy uh, in, until race time. So.
All right.